get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. If you're just getting out on the road, great to have you with us with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.03, and your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Darren Drager, the NHL insider for TSN, uh, mentions on Twitter that the NHL board will have a conference call today. The NHLPA, and that would be the uh, return to play board. The NHLPA was busy this weekend working on a return to play scenario that included two hub cities with 12 teams in each. That's been discussed. Obviously, it would be a 2014 playoff and remains one of the possibilities to be determined. And then Bob McKenzie adding that Las Vegas, where an entire hotel resort could be dedicated to the NHL with easy access to the the arena would be one of the possible hub cities, Vegas. I love to hear that. I love to hear um, that it seems like we're getting closer and to hear details like a hub city being at least what it seems to be kind of being finalized. And I think Vegas is an excellent choice for exactly what you just mentioned. They have the facilities. They, they're they all within proximity to one another. And I think as far as logistics are concerned, Vegas is a great place. And Jeff Passon points out from ESPN that the 67-page plan that owners turned over to players last Friday, this is only about health, is a necessary plan. Major League Baseball feels like this plan needed to be as detailed as it is, not just to get players back and have them feel safe and feel like they're in a healthy environment, but because public health commissioners and local health officials are going to have to rubber stamp any plan that Major League Baseball has to come back if it's planning on coming back in the 26 major metropolitan areas where it plays in. So this was almost a nod to them and to this idea that if we're going to do this, we need to do it as thoroughly as possible and try and cover every contingency possible. And I agree with our friend Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, who says Hey, ultimately, these guys are coming back. Players are not going to spend a year. Owners are not going to spend a year not making money. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, I believe that by June 10th, the scheduled start date, if the owners get what they want for Major League Spring Training, I believe that by June 10th, we're going to be talking about real sports here, about spring training and about hockey. About both. Both being played, yep. I hope you're right, Randy. That would be amazing. I, I think now that the last dance is over, the clock is ticking. I mean, the clock has been ticking, but the 
the fact that we have nothing to look forward mm -hmm. to really now. I know that there's golf and there's NASCAR. There's other things that have been happening, but people really are, are dying for some competitive team sports. Last night was the last dance for The Last Dance on ESPN. The 10-part documentary series over five weeks was sensational, and it wrapped up last night with high drama and, man, a lot of facts that they were able to squeeze into those last two hours. It, it I tweeted this last night. To me, 10 episodes was not enough. Mm -hmm. They would scratch the surface on, you know, something about Steve Kerr or Dennis Rodman, and you'd think you could go an additional 30 minutes just on this. I, I want an additional mini-doc on all the times that Dennis Rodman skipped out of practice or went to Vegas or, or you know, during the finals just decided, hey, I'm going to miss practice to go do wrestling where everyone can see me on national television. That's going to go over well. Wayne Larravee mentioned that Juanita, Michael's first wife, was never mentioned. Michael, during the 90s, had a restaurant on Michigan Avenue, and it had Juanita's famous mac and cheese. I would have just liked to have spent a few minutes getting the recipe for that <laughs> mac and cheese. In 2020, I bet you could Google that. I bet that there's some Maybe. place that has leaked Juanita's famous mac and cheese. Probably, I would think so. And if, if she was looking for some publicity out of this, this is a good time for her to release that cookbook if she hasn't already. Good right? idea. Right. And I know that uh, one of the things that uh, you wonder is what would have happened had they been able to move beyond that 98 season if, if that group would have come back like Michael wanted them to? We talked to Wayne Larrabee about the disintegration of the, the Bulls dynasty and it was interesting to me because so much was made of Jerry Krause and villainizing him at the beginning of the last dance and excuse me, how the how the players just loathed him because they knew that he wanted to blow this thing up. And I understand from a monetary standpoint and a, and a rational standpoint where Reinsdorf and Kraus were coming from when they said, we're going to cut ties with some of these guys a year before it's too late and we want to rebuild. And especially from a Jerry Krause perspective, a guy who had done it, he had confidence in himself that he would be able to build another dynasty, another championship caliber team. However, the, all the rules and what you think you know does not apply when you have Michael Jordan on your team and when Michael Jordan wants to return. I defer to him. I would say, here's what I want to do. What do you want to do? And if Michael Jordan says, all right, I can get everybody to come back on a one-year deal. Let's just keep rolling the dice until we can't do it anymore. As a team and an organization, wouldn't you rather try with Michael Jordan than fail with other people? Wouldn't you, or excuse me, wouldn't you rather fail with other people than, than start a rebuild or... I can't get this right. Wouldn't you rather fail with Michael Jordan than start a rebuild with other people from a from a fan perspective, from a, a publicity perspective, from a, a, the fact that it's Michael Jordan? I mean, there's just so many factors working against any sort of rationalities that Jerry Krause had. There were two factors that really hurt. Number one, Reinsdorf's loyalty wouldn't allow him to get rid of Jerry Krause. And Michael was making north of $30 million a year. And Jerry Reinsdorf, at the end of the day, is a businessman. But Michael says, hey, we would have at least given it a shot. In 98, Krause already said at the beginning of the season, Phil can go 82-0. And he was never going to be the coach. So when, when Phil said it was the last dance, it was the last dance. We knew they weren't going to keep the team. Now, they could have nixed all of it at the beginning of 98. Why say that statement at the beginning of 98? If you ask all the guys who won in 98, Steve Courage, Jeff Bushler, blah, blah, blah. We give you one year contract to try for seven. You think they would have signed? Yes, they would have signed. Would I sign for one year? Yes, I would have signed for one year. I've been signing one year contracts up to that. Would Phil done it? Yes. 
Now, Pip, you would have to do some convincing, but if Phil was going to be there, if Dennis was going to be there, if MJ was going to be there to win our seventh, Pip is not going to miss on that. And the only way that happens, Michelle, is if they get rid of Jerry Krause. So the, the, the block was Reinsdorf's loyalty to Krause, who had said that what he wanted to do was build a dynasty without Michael Jordan, because that's how good he thought he was. And if you're Jerry Reinsdorf, I do not know why your loyalties lie with Jerry Krause and not with Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan and Phil Jackson. <laughs> I mean, I would say, listen, Jerry, thanks for everything you've done, but I am sorry here. I am, I am a smart businessman. I am no fool. I'm going to take the side of Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan here. If you have a dynasty like that, and there is one guy, and by the way, I am... A big proponent, the old Brad Tricky theory, always good to get rid of a guy a year too early rather than a year too late. But you did just win your sixth championship in eight years. And the last six full years you had had Michael Jordan, you had won the championship. It probably would not have been a bad idea to give him another try. I wonder, though, and I, I think Tim Floyd had already been hired for the head coaching position. I don't think that... There was a chance that they could bring Phil back because I think it was a given, might have even been signed, that Tim Floyd was going to be the next head coach of the Bulls. Interesting. And I loved how when Jordan was breaking down that everybody was coming back, he said Phil would have come back on a one-year deal. But it seems as if Phil was, wasn't was part of the equation, that he was like, listen, I need, I need a break. I need to just go chill for a little bit. So I wonder how that would have played out if Jordan, in fact, said, I'm coming back, if Phil would have changed his mind. And I think that... One of the reasons those guys needed to chill was to get away from Krause. But if Krause is gone and Michael says, come on, Phil, one more time, he probably does. I don't know how you say no. Yeah, that's the thing. Right. How do you say no to Michael Jordan? And and these guys are hyper, hyper competitive people. Mm -hmm. These are people that... Once you taste greatness, I mean, think about us coming off a Stanley Cup championship. As fans, all you want is more. When you talk to the players, the coaches, all they want is another chance to go after this. You understand when you're in the middle of something great. And for them, I mean, Jordan, at the end of the documentary said, I still felt like I was at my Mm -hmm. peak. Um, Imagine that. Michael Jordan, still at the peak of his career, just walking away. But... Like he said at the end of the season, though, he was exhausted. Every player says that. I've said this before. About 1975, Bob Gibson, his last year, he, he thinks right now to this day he was the best starter the Cardinals had. Every elite athlete, th- Yachty's in the same position right mm-hmm. now. He thinks he's as good as he ever was. Michael obviously won the championship in his last year. I think that what Wayne Larravee said, that the fact that they did break up lends to a mystical quality yeah. that we wouldn't have if they would have lost and broken up after not winning in 1999. I still this, wish- That's what makes them legendary. It does, because they went out on top, and there's always the debate that therein lies. Would they have... if? Because... You can say, no, they were exhausted. I don't think they would have won. But given the track record that they had, history would tell you I would have liked their chances had they come back for a seventh. That being said, Kobe and Shaq in their primes lost a finals when they were together. The last championship that they won and then they lost to Detroit. So you just never know. And Phil, by the way, was coaching them. So I think it's cooler 
looking back, I mean, because we remember the Lakers losing to Detroit, I think it's cooler that the Bulls won that last one and Michael had that shot. I, I think that that's an amazing way to end that chapter. I wish they would have asked Jerry Reinsdorf, because when they were asking him about the breakdown of all of this, I wish they would have asked him, if you could go back, would you have done it differently? Do you regret making those business decisions? Um, that's. I think for a guy like that, it probably comes down to money. But how much money are you generating having Michael Jordan there? I mean, they were talking about how those tickets were going for $2,000 plus in the secondary market. Mm-hmm. The the money they're making off merchandise, the money they're making selling out the arena every night. They're making so much money having Michael Jordan there. As a businessman, it's almost a worse decision to not have Michael there, even if, even if he's showing signs of attrition. I'm not sure because you're you're paying Michael 35 million a year and you have to share all that revenue with other teams. You have to if Orlando isn't Orlando's a bad example because they were they had Shaq, but if if uh, you had the Washington Wizards at the time with nobody, you have to share all that jersey money with them and all of your national TV revenue with them. So I don't I don't know that I really don't. I have no idea whether or not it would have been a profitable venture for Reinsdorf or not. Because he would have had to pay Pippen a bunch. You know, Yes, those guys would have signed for one year. But they all would have signed for massive contracts, too. I wonder if Jordan would have said I would take less so that Pippen could get his due. And I'm making all this other money. My Space Jam money. My McDonald's yeah. money. My, not my Air Jordan Nike money. I wonder if he would have signed for less. No, if that would have been a contingency, we'll bring everybody back for one more year, but you're going to have to sign for X amount of dollars. You have a salary cap, so it would have been interesting. Right. But it's something that we're talking about 20 years later. Exactly. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to talk to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, about the latest on the NHL coming back. Kerbs is next in our Blues booth on 101 ESPN. The fight is in our next segment, and if you'd like to participate, you can take your chance right now. All you need to do is text the word FIGHT into 65780. Text the word FIGHT to 65780 if you'd like to participate in the fight here on 101 ESPN. The Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line with Michelle and Randy Kerbs. Good morning. How are you, sir? Randy, Michelle, doing fine. How are you guys? Everything's good. Let's t- talk about this Pierre Lebrun story in The Athletic that came out over the weekend. It's interesting. The 24-team format for uh, the playoffs, and there would still be some regular season games so the teams could prepare and get ready for it. What did you think of that story? What do you think of the the viability of the, the way that he laid things out? I still think it makes sense. I mean, and, and it definitely looks, and I think the NHL, here in the next week and a half, week or so, is really going to want to start honing in. I I think they're keeping a very close eye on what they saw with how things were presented with Bundesliga soccer over the weekend, with how NASCAR was presented. It's definitely different, but, you know, you're not going to sit back and watch some sports open up. Basically, you've had buildings go dark because concerts and everything have been canceled, so you'll have access to buildings and not find a way to play. And and the reality of it is, and, and I forget who who put a tweet out there, but you know, uh, you know, you, you've got UFC guys grappling and, and fighting. You know, you're going to be able to play these other sports. So uh, I, I think it's very positive. And you know what? Well, any plan they have, Randy, is going to have to have these teams playing some games before they start a quote unquote playoff because you know if, if you're going to even do a play in scenario with the teams that would have been outside the playoffs. I think we talked about this last week. 
you know, let's, let's say Chicago, you know, at 500 is the 24th team to make it or Chicago and Montreal. They've got to play three games to get in. Well, three games under their belt uh, would be quite a competitive disadvantage for the other team if they would be playing their first game if you made that game one of the playoffs. Curbs, I know that you've been waiting to hear news and an official word from the NHL about when this starts, but if in fact they do this this hub scenario, and I don't know if you even know the answer to this or if you're privy to share it, but I was wondering what that means for the broadcast teams. If that would be something that you guys would go and stay in the hubs as well, or if they'll have a station for you here in St. Louis and you do it online. I, I don't really know how that would look, but I know that a lot of people are thinking about scenarios like that because when they want hockey back, they want their familiar hometown voices uh, to be back as well. Yeah, that hasn't been determined, Michelle. They, they've looked at the different scenarios. I, I do think, I mean, if, if, if you're a broadcaster right now, and I think it's going to be hard to envision going where the team goes in that situation. Now, I think it'd be a mistake to some degree. Because I look at it like this, guys, plain and simple. These sports leagues, for some reason, I, I think these sports leagues get it in their head that there must be some special brain power or DNA when it comes to the baseball ops, the hockey ops, the basketball ops side of things, right? So, for example, we definitely think we're going to be able to keep our players safe, our, uh, you know, some trainers, some building people. We're not so sure about a broadcaster sitting upstairs, right? Or we're not so sure about a writer or something like that. And I I, I, I find it a joke and I find it laughable. I mean, even the, the, the National Hockey League's approach going into that stoppage was uh, a guy like Darren Pine could not go between the benches uh, for the safety of the players, but they could put a national guy like Pierre Maguire between the benches. And you're like, okay, that's when you go, okay, stop the stupidity, right? Stop the silliness and use your heads here. Um, I, so, but I do think what we're seeing is, is how these other leagues are, that are going to get going, it, it's going to be hard. And if, and you know what, and if that's the way it is, that's the way it is when we deal with it and, and we'll call the games. What you hope though, and the challenge is, the challenge in doing the games off monitors, and look, soccer has done this. Fox has done this with soccer. Uh, uh, other sports have done this from from time to time. The challenge is you are stuck, uh, you know, kind of seeing only what the camera shows you, which is typically what the fans see. To, I think I think to do a game really well, you're keeping a eye on an eye on a lot more stuff than than the camera does. So if they give you some stationary cameras that maybe online you can pull up and you. You've constantly got some angles to see some other stuff. You know, I think it would enhance the opportunity to bring a better broadcast. But uh, they haven't made those decisions, and I would think everything's on the table, to be honest with you. So it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we were have, uh, forced to do these games remotely. But one way or another, we'll be doing the games. Curbs, I want to go back to uh, what you were talking about in regards to teams having an advantage in a play-in situation, which is inevitable. You have to have that if you're going to have a 24-team tournament. And that means, in my mind, that you have to have regular season games because you can't have uh, Boston Bruins and St. Louis Blues having their very first game be the the first game they've played against a team that's already played three. No, that, that's exactly right. Take, take the two teams that I suggested, uh, you know, Montreal and Chicago, uh, obviously bubble teams. Now, look, with 11 games to go, Chicago is six points out. So, and, and, well, yes, they did have a lot of teams to jump, and it would be a pretty big mountain to climb. It's not an impossible one. So I, I can understand why you would you would consider keeping a team like that going. But as good a goaltender as Corey Crawford was this season for them, and as good a goaltender as Carey Price could be for the Montreal Canadiens, 
You end up with a team like that that, say, has to play a best-of-three play-in or play two or three games just to get, and then they get in. You're the number one team in the West. You end up playing one of those teams. You don't have any games under your belt, and you're going up against a goaltender of those calibers that have had three games to hone things in a little bit. I mean, all of a sudden you can find yourselves down in a two-game-to-none hole just because of the goaltending alone. So, I and I and it's a topic that I know has been discussed and said does have some concerns for uh, some different uh, managers and owners. So, they'll address that in some way. But you know, look, as much if if they can get a few extra games in, I mean, get them in. Let's you bring the entertainment. Uh, you you get the players healthier and and you see where it goes. But Again, very encouraging that we're talking these scenarios, yeah. though, isn't it, than, uh, than the other way. Absolutely, Curbs. Uh, and I can't believe you've been on with us for, what has it been, three weeks now, Randy? And I haven't brought up your book club, if you will, that you've been doing on social media during this quarantine. I love how you've been reading stories every night on social media and people have been joining you. And can you just describe to Randy and I what it's been like for you to do that and the kind of the community that you fostered amongst your book club, for lack of a better term? <laughs> well, the fun part, uh, two nights ago, I was uh, helping a neighbor he was, he was working on his deck and putting up some railing, so I was helping him. And it was, uh, and, and, and Gabriella, my middle daughter, came in and said, Dad, it's 8 o'clock, don't you have to read? I'm like, oh, we got to go do this. <laughs> uh, so I lost a little track of time on the one. But, um, yeah, you know what? We just started, I just started reading a, a kid's book online, and, you know, it'll get anywhere from 500, 700. Sometimes uh, if the team pumps it a little bit, it'll get, you know, more views. And the, the cool part is I've had some local authors reach out and say, can I send you a book to read? And you go, absolutely. You know, support the local authors and just read a new kid's book. Uh, Jamal Mayer sent one to me last week. We read, but the, the kind of the other amazing part, it, it's, 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 it's really kind of them. There's been, I've gotten a couple packages delivered to the house and, and I look at it, I go, I didn't order anything. And somebody out of the blue just has sent books and that just says, Hey, thanks for reading. Here's, here's another option for you. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's just been fun, and hopefully the kids, you know, that sit back and enjoy it. But you know that we're connecting with some of them. Awesome. Hey, Curbs, one last thing before we let you go. I was thinking about this over the weekend. So at the end of the playoffs, the Stanley Cup is awarded. Can it even be handed to another person? And certainly can it be kissed by anybody? Uh, no. I, I get like, well, okay, let's, let's take two quick angles on that. One. Yes, I could see them handing it to it because Phil Pritchard and those guys wear gloves, so give Gary Bettman wears gloves. I could see that being a possibility. You're not going to go all the way through this, award the cup, and then not let them pick it up, okay? And then and then the other thing is, yeah, I would say don't kiss it, any of that kind of stuff. And then I could see a whole bunch of players saying, oh, to heck with that and doing it anyway. <laughs> I could too. <laughs> you know, you know, like, like let's, say, let, let's say it's not the Blues, it's a team. You know, it's another team, and they've got seven or eight guys, ten guys, maybe the whole team like the Blues last year, right, that had never won it. Okay, you know what? After sweating out for four rounds of playoffs and that, and all the testing and all the stuff, I'm going to go ahead and kiss it and then just drink as much whiskey as I can. (laughs) Fill that baby up with Bud Light that somebody else delivered. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, hopefully I can do some stuff on this. We just won the cup. I'm, I'm doing this, man. No doubt. Curbs, always yeah, good no, to no you. Kidding. Yeah, good, always good to have you with us. And uh, uh, I, I love the fact that we have maintained our hockey programming, whether it's uh, this week in hockey or behind the bench or 
the games on Thursdays and Fridays. I think the content that uh, you and uh, Joey and uh, Alex Ferrario and the whole crew have delivered in terms of radio content for Blues Hockey, it's been fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Randy. Uh, two more hours tomorrow, and then on Wednesdays behind the bench show, we're going to uh, highlight and, and profile Steve Ott. So that's going to be a fun show to do with Steve on Wednesday night. Thanks, Curbs. We appreciate it. See you later. Okay, guys. Bye-bye. That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to have a fight. Not a physical fight, just the, the fight, <laughs> as we do every every morning at 830 here on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Carriker? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Carriker, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 835, which means it's time for one thing and one thing only. It's time for the fight. Let's bring in Tommy Freeze Pops. Freeze Pops, what are we fighting for this week? Our fighter, if they win, they will receive a gift card to BT's local restaurant pick of the week, Cyberg's. Experience Cyberg's famous wing sauce. All Missouri Cyberg's locations are now open for dine-in with limited seating following guidelines and social distancing while still offering carry-out and curbside pickup. We also have a chance to score a gift card all week long on the 101 ESPN app. For everyone not playing in the fight today, enter the code word BT. That's spelled B-T <laughs> for your chance to win. I love Cybergs. Oh, Cyber. I mean, if you don't already have the 101 ESPN app, what are you doing? But get on it now because if you have a chance to win that gift card to Cybergs, you need to go ahead and enter your name into the ring because those Cybergs wings are delicious. Incredible. I got a bottle of that sauce in my fridge, honestly. I throw it on sandwiches. I throw it on salads. I'm, I get weird with it, but I, I love it. It's, it's fantastic. Well, let's change the subject before we find out more about that. Before we bring in our fighter, let's check in with Colin. Colin, this is week three of Carriker and Smallman, so we need a record check from you. What is Randy's record in the fight now that it's moved to mornings? Randy is 8-2 and two overall. His two losses have come. One of them, he missed one question. The other one, they both went four out of four. Randy, overall, 38 of 40 questions have been answered correct. That's 95%. So at the 4 o'clock, or Excuse me. The fight was a class. Randy's got an A right now. All right. Well, let's bring in his challenger to see if he can derail him from that tree. We have Mark participating today. Mark, what's up? How are you doing this morning? Hey, Michelle. Good morning. What's up? Good morning. Are you ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready. I love your energy, Mark. All right. Question number one. On this day in 2000, Mark McGuire passed Mickey Mantle for eighth all time on the career home runs list with 539. Where did Mark McGuire rank on the all time home run list when he re when he retired in 2001? Is that fourth, fifth or sixth? Um, let's, uh, let's go with uh, let's go with fourth. Question number two. Norm Stewart's Mizzou Tigers beat Michael Jordan's defending national champion North Carolina Tar Heels 64-60 in their season opener in 1982. What city was this game played in? Was it St. Louis, Columbia, or Kansas City? I think that was played in Kansas City. Question number three, Mark. After a successful run in Chicago, Phil Jackson moved on to the Lakers, where he had another successful run as their head coach. How many championships did Phil Jackson win with the Lakers? Three, five, or six? Oh, let me try to think of how many totally he has. Um, 
Let's go with six. Question number four. As of 2020, Larry Bird is the only person in NBA history to have been named Rookie of the Year, MVP, NBA Finals MVP, All-Star MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year. Just some Larry Bird facts for you. Which conference did Larry Bird play in for college basketball? Was it the Big Ten, Missouri Valley Conference, or the Mid-America Conference? I believe that's the Big Ten. All right. We have Colin going to get Randy from the hall. Freeze Pops, I love question number four, how you just list off Larry Bird's stats, and then the question has absolutely nothing to do with any of the stats listed. You know, I saw Larry Legend on the dock last night. It got me loving some Larry last night, and I was like, I got to show my man some love here. So I thought that was a nice little tidbit to get a question in about Larry Bird. I mean, heck of a resume, Freeze Pops. Thanks for, for laying it out there. All right, Randy is here. Randy, say hello to Mark, your challenger. Hey, Mark, how you doing? What's up, Randy? Good. So I'm standing out in the hallway in uh, quarantine, as it were. Yes. And uh, Christy Carson, our HR person, walks by and says, hey, you want an extra mask? Because I have my Cardinal mask. And so I got an extra mask here. Oh, nice. Our, our company is giving out free masks to us today. I better snag one while I can. Absolutely. I have several from Arch Apparel, but I I feel like you can't have enough masks, right? No, not now. No. It's, it's become a fashion statement, hasn't Definitely. it? I mean, you ha- I have one in my car. I have one in my handbag. I have one in my house in case I go outside. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm strategically placing them all over. Good idea. They can get stinky, too. You yeah, you got to wash them. Yeah, of course. I ordered some blues ones over the weekend. Oh, nice. They should be coming soon. Can't wait to see those. All right, Randy, you ready to go? Ready. On this day in 2000, Mark McGuire passed Mickey Mantle for eighth all-time on the career home runs list with 539. Where did McGraw... Where- where did Mark McGuire rank on the all-time home run list when he retired in 2001? Uh, let's see. He was right there with Reggie, right? 586. Um, so when he retired in 01, you had obviously Aaron and Ruth and Robbins. I think he might have been tied with Frank Robinson. And he had Mays. And I don't think he had any other 400. So I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to go with fifth. Question number two. Norm Stewart's Mizzou Tigers beat Michael Jordan's defending national champion North Carolina Tar Heels 64-60 in their season opener in 1982. What city was this game played in? I was an usher at that game at the arena, so it must have been in St. Louis. I was at uh, one end of the court, and I saw Michael dunking and going crazy on the other end. But, yeah, Mizzou was, they were pretty good that year, too. That's awesome. And that game was played at the arena, and I was right down there on the floor. Good vantage point, right? Yeah. After a successful run in Chicago, Phil Jackson moved on to the Lakers, where he had another successful run as their head coach. How many championships did Phil Jackson win with the Lakers? He won a total of five, three with Kobe and Shaq, and then two with Kobe and Pau Gasol. As of 2020, Larry Bird is the only person in NBA history to be named Rookie of the Year, MVP, NBA Finals MVP, All-Star MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year. Which conference did Larry Bird play his college basketball in? Okay, he uh, never played for Indiana. He, he could have played for Bobby Knight, but he didn't like Bobby Knight. So he never played for the Hoosiers. Moved to Indiana State of the St. Louis-based Missouri Valley Conference. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carriker. 
Sorry, Mark. You heard Jack Buck's voice there, which means Randy has a clean sweep. He beat you four to nothing. On this day in 2000, Mark McGuire, when he passed Mickey Mandel for eighth all-time on the career homes run list. Oh, I don't need to read that part. He ranked <laughs> fifth on the all-time home runs list when Mark when he retired in 2001. That game between Norm Stewart's Mizzou Tigers and Michael Jordan's North Carolina Tar Heels was played here in St. Louis. Phil Jackson won five championships with the Lakers, and Larry Bird played his college basketball in the Missouri Valley Conference. Mark, thanks so much for playing. Hi, hey, thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate you joining us, and you can participate in the fight. You have an opportunity every day at 830 is when the fight takes place now, and all you have to do is, some, at some point during the morning, just text in the word fight to 65780. We've got a little sounder. We'll tell you when to do that, <laughs> but we want you to be a participant, and we want this show to be interactive for you with Twitter. Michelle is on Twitter and uh, the, the gram, the, the Insta, <laughs> at uh, M. Smallman. You got it, Randy. I am on Twitter at Randy Carricker and RJ Carricker on the Instagram. And you can also go to 101 ESPN. That's our Twitter page for the entire station and for Instagram. So you can find us on social media and you can always feel free to text us 65780 or send us a mic drop with the 101 ESPN mic drop feature brought to you by Rhino Shield and used with the 101 ESPN app. We got word this weekend that Phyllis George, who was the first female co-host of an NFL pregame show, passed away at the age of 70. And uh, I immediately went to a thought that Dan Deardorff has a great story about Phyllis George coming in to do an interview with the football Cardinals. And Dan, the Pro Football Hall of Famer himself, will join us next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Dan Deardorff is a member of multiple halls of fame. Obviously, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He won the Pete Rozelle Award for broadcasting excellence at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, College Football Hall of Fame, Michigan Hall of Fame, St. Louis Hall of Fame, uh, Sports Hall of Fame, the uh, Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, and he's with us now on the uh, Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Dan, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, good morning, Randy. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Did I miss? Are you in an Ohio Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, that's a big negative. Uh, <laughs> uh, no one who went to the University of Michigan. Uh, uh, I've. <laughs> I I actually uh, uh, I could have been uh, inducted into a high school Hall of Fame uh, in Ohio, but the ceremony uh, actually. Uh, was to take place at halftime of an Ohio State basketball game uh, in their arena in Columbus. And I uh, graciously passed. Smart move. I said thank you anyway, but I, I don't believe I'll subject myself to that kind of abuse. <laughs> I don't blame you. Hey, I I, I wanted to, uh, first of all, our, our condolences to the, the family and friends of Phyllis George, because when you were playing, and uh, you your team introduced me to good football when you guys got off to that 7-0 start in 1974. So I, I started watching pregame shows. I was a fan, but I wasn't really invested. So I started watching pregame shows, and there's Phyllis George. So I was a fan literally when she got there. It was... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, if you're of, uh, of a certain age, that was that was that was just something you'll never forget. Uh, Irv uh, Cross, Jimmy the Greek, uh, Phyllis, and and you are looking live, Brett <laughs> Musburger. It was uh, it was ingrained in all of us. And so I wanted to get you on because I want you to tell that story about when she was coming in to interview Conrad. 
Well, I only have to say two words <laughs> to anyone who played for the Cardinals. Pearl drops. Because that's what flipped the switch. When we, Conrad Dobler was to be interviewed uh, after practice by, by Phyllis George. She had traveled into St. Louis. And when we saw Conrad uh, in front of the mirror in the locker room using Pearl Drops uh, toothpaste uh, polish uh, in front of the mirror, we went, this has gone too far. And that's, uh, that's when Jackie Smith and I decided to uh, bring Conrad down a peg or two. And what did you do? Well, he had this. He, he was in the bathroom. He, he was completely dressed except for his pants. I mean, he had shoes and his socks on already. He had, because back then he had some bell-bottom jeans. But these designer jeans, he had a, a, a shirt on. It was the 70s. You know, everything we wore in the 70s was really regrettable today. I, I, I've pretty much discarded every picture I have of me wearing anything remotely looking like the 70s. But he had these, he had this, beautiful pair of designer jeans laid out by his locker. So Jackie Smith and I decided to cut off one of the pants legs at mid thigh on his, uh, and it was quite a sight to watch Conrad slide that on and bare leg came out uh, uh, and he lost it. He completely lost it. But Dan, how did his teeth look? Uh, well, his teeth looked great, but uh, they were kind of, uh, they were kind of disguised when he started foaming at the mouth. Uh, he threw, he threw one of the epic tantrums of all time. He actually picked up uh, a bench that sat in front of, oh, probably it stretched for five or six lockers. I, I bet you that bench was a good eight feet long. He picked that bench up and threw it up against the wall, so, and it hit so high up on the wall. It almost broke a wall clock that was hanging up on the wall. It, it was epic. It was, uh, and it, it, and of course, we all uh, feigned innocence of, about who could have done that. Conrad never found out who did that for 20 years. Well, my question was going to be, Dan, he obviously was upset. I wanted to know if he enacted any retribution, if there was any revenge. But I guess if he well, didn't even know who exactly did not he couldn't do so. Oh, nobody was going to confess to that. No, Jack. No, 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 no. That was that would have been very counterproductive. That that wasn't something that you wanted to own up uh, to right away. I I mean, he kept. You know, there, it, it'd be ten years after the fact. Conrad and I would just would just be having lunch, and just completely randomly out of the blue, he'd go, "I know you know who did that," and I'd go, "Conrad, honest to God, I don't. I really don't." Then finally, I think it was a good 20 years later, Jackie and I were somewhere with Conrad, and we we confessed. And by that time, he didn't have much fight left in him. <laughs> hey, Dan, uh, do you have a recollection as to what he did for the interview? Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> this is what really... Jackie Smith uh, became the good guy because he lent uh, Conrad a pair of his uh, jeans that he had in his locker. And, of course, they were about two sizes or three sizes smaller than what Conrad needed. So he's stuffing himself into these jeans like a Bob Evans sausage link trying to get in these uh, 
trying to get in these two small blue jeans, and he went waddling out of the locker room wearing these ill-fitting jeans. And, and of course, once he, he left, we we're just rolling around on the floor howling. Dan, did Phyllis ever know that story? And if so, what was her reaction to it? Uh, that's a, a good question. I, I, I don't know because uh, we didn't go to the interview. And, I, I you know, I doubt Conrad, uh, uh, I, although he did look a little disheveled when he <laughs> left. Uh, his hair was uh, going in different directions. And he, 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 you know, psychologically, he was he was a mess. Uh, he was never good to begin with. And, and this this made a bad situation even worse. I don't know if he told her or not. Uh, he was probably too busy flirting with her. <laughs> Dan Deardorff with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Dan, it's interesting to relate that time to now when you guys started winning. I mentioned that 7-0 started in 1974, and I'll never forget my reaction. And I was, what, 14, 15 years old. But the first time I ever saw the football Cardinals, uh, and newspapers were a big thing, and they were the headline on the Globe Democrat in the morning. It wasn't the sports headline. It was the headline of the paper. And our entire community was galvanized. The card, baseball Cardinals hadn't been good for a while. Uh, the, the Blues were had gone into a funk, and the entire community was galvanized around the football Cardinals. And here we don't have sports. What, what I think is the most galvanizing aspect of society, I think we really do need it. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And 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 people are just people are just starving. Uh, it's it, it's a it's a sign of normalcy, but it is it, it, it's you know it's real. I, I know, and I know there are people out there that don't you know they're not sports fans per se. They don't really they don't care if there there is or there isn't. But they're in the minority, and there are I would say the majority of our population take some satisfaction in, in following some sport and, and to, to have it completely taken away from us, uh, for the first time ever, really, when we, when we see what's happened, you know, you got to go back to, you know, probably world war two to find anything like this. I, you talk to people and you, you even bring up the, uh, you even float the idea that, you know, there might be a problem with college football this fall and, and, and maybe the NFL is going to play without, and, and people, people are just stricken. They, they, they've been struggling with it for a while. And the prospect of it not coming back anytime soon is causing a lot of people, a lot of angst. Dan, I know one of the things that the American sports fan has been really pouring themselves into over the past five weeks in the absence of sports has been The Last Dance, ESPN's documentary series on Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, and those 90s Bulls. And I don't know if you've been watching the docuseries, but one of the things that we really learned uh, in these in these 10 episodes is just how singular Michael Jordan was, not only with his talent and the fact that he could take over any game and be the difference maker, but that competitive drive that he had was really unprecedented. And and I don't know if you necessarily get that in a lot of athletes where they just can't turn it off. And Randy and I were having this conversation off the air. And given your career in football, both on the field, off the field as a broadcaster, you have been a part of football your entire life. Is there any football player that you can look to that you think is comparable to Michael Jordan in the NFL? Because I know it's obviously different in the way that an NBA player can take over a game. But I just wonder, in your opinion, if there's an NFL comp to Michael Jordan. Oh, if if there's been one in modern uh, uh, times, I would think it would be Tom Brady. 
who uh, shows that relentless competitive spirit. Uh, uh, if you if you talk to anyone uh, who was a teammate of Tom's uh, with the Patriots, they would he was demanding. He would drive people. He was always the first guy there, the last guy to leave. Uh, th- there were a lot of similarities there. You know, you don't achieve success uh, at that level uh, that without having. Uh, you're driven, uh, and and maybe and maybe sometimes most people don't have the forum where it's so visible as as it was for Michael Jordan, but. Yeah, we were all driven. We were all uh, the, the sacrifices we made to be successful. Uh, sometimes they took a toll on your family. They took a toll on your relationships. Um, watching that, uh, and I have been watching that series, and I watched it intently. Um, I, I, I saw a lot of things that I recognized, and not only myself, but some of my teammates. And by the way, I did learn one thing. Uh, uh, don't ever say anything bad about Michael Jordan. Uh, the guy's, guy's got a memory like an elephant. He sure does. There's a chip on the shoulder, no doubt about it. Uh, Dan, I, I found it interesting that uh, when you talk about uh, guys that just, they're relentless in their pursuit of excellence. Uh, maybe a guy that was in the town at the same time, a guy that did everything he could to win was Walter Payton. Now, he didn't always win early in his career, but running that hill and making sure that he was in the best physical condition and doing everything in and out of season to be great, that's really hard to be that committed. Yeah, it really is. And it, it does show the difference between the two sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, there are uh, 11 guys on the field for one team at a time during a football game. Uh, versus five on a on a basketball floor, and uh, uh, no one football player uh, can take over a game to the extent that one basketball player can, and and that's one of the big difference between the two sports. Because you're right in terms of uh, dominance, in terms of uh, uh, competitive drive, uh, uh, Michael Jordan had nothing on on Walter Payton. And but it's just again, I think the illustration between the two sports. Hey, I one thing I learned about Michael Jordan is uh, did I really see one clip about in four or five where he was pulling out of his house and and he had a twenty three on the gates of his house <laughs> yeah. and, and then uh, they show him multiple times driving a car around. He's got a vanity plate on his porch. I mean he's. He had a, his last license plate said air. Air, that's now, it. <laughs> am I the only one that's going, really? Michael Jordan's driving around with vanity plates? He wanted people to know who he was? He was feeling it, Dan. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 if I was Michael Jordan and, and they, I would want the James Bond, Aston Martin, that became invisible. That would be my... That would be the ultimate vanity car for me. I, I sure as heck wouldn't have any license plates with my name on it. Yeah, I thought it was ironic, Dan, how they were talking about how Michael couldn't step one foot out of his home or out of a, a hotel without being mobbed and how that took a toll on him. Yet he's cruising around in a red Porsche with the with air as his license plate. <laughs> you know, and why do I have this vision right now that somewhere Michael Jordan is listening to this and he just said to himself, 
Deardorf is dead to me. <laughs> I, I guess it's over. Yeah. <laughs> You're on the list. I, I'm going to be in there with Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> right. Double D, before we let you go, how have you handled uh, quarantining and social distancing? You and Debbie doing all right? Oh, yeah, we're doing fine. We're like everybody else, just uh, uh, super careful. And now that things are uh, opening back up, uh, you know, we're entering an era now of uh, personal responsibility. Uh, it, it, it is time now that we're going to start venturing back out. But it's, it, it, it's now all about personal responsibility in my mind. Uh, it, it, it's up to each one of us to take care of ourselves and at the same time take care of everybody you come into contact with. If you go out and you're going to go into a store, if you're going to go into it, wear a mask. Uh, uh, that's the only thing that I just, we all are going to just have to make some sacrifices here to take care of each other. And I, 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 I cringe when I see some of these shots of 12 people bellied up at the bar, all shoulder to shoulder, nobody wearing a mask. And um, I, I, it's, we just all got to take care of each other right now well said and that's what makes you such a great leader for our community those sorts of things we appreciate it we always appreciate your time and uh, reminiscing with you all right and brandy are you used to getting up early in the morning uh, dan it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be i'm handling it so far I, I haven't been late let me put it that way i'm handling it so far so good well i uh I, you know bernie I, I i talked to bernie afterwards and i know you have it, it's a tough tough it's a tough business mm -hmm. but uh uh, it's yours now, and uh, take it and run with it. Uh, you'll have a ball. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that very much. All right. See you later. Talk to you later, Andy. Thanks. Bye, Michelle. Bye, Dan. That's our friend Dan Deardorff joining us on 101 ESPN. For those that aren't aware, my first full-time job in radio was producing when Dan retired from the football Cardinals. He took over the, as the open line host on KMOX. So my first full-time job was his first full-time foray into being the sports open line host. So we have that history together, and we've known each other forever. One of the all-time greats, Dan Deardorff. Mm -hmm. Great. I love Randy though that when a Dan Deardorff or someone comes on and they know you very well, they always have to ask you how you're adjusting to the morning routine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I'm doing well. You are. I, I feel good. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to get a quick version of You're Killing Me, Smalls, in on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.